You need a little bit of nasty, don't you? They're the little battles you need to win if Munster wanted to win this game. He lives and breathes line-out. How do they pick themselves up from this? The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The Koi Gig Pod and OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support. Everyone ran their socks off tonight and they left everything out there. We're very proud of the, the team's performance. Let the shackles off Katie a bit so that she can go and play her game. We're going to go out there to beat them. We're going to try and beat them. Hello there and welcome to episode 21 of the Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. I'm Kathleen McNamee and back in her much preferred cosy little co-host seat is Karen Duggan. Karen, nice to see you again. It's been a while. Kathleen, it's nicer to see you back in the host seat. Let me be honest, we've missed you so much. (laughs) No, it is very nice to be back. I've obviously been absent for the last couple of weeks, but thank you very much to Ruth and Pearl for stepping in for me while I was away. And Karen, having a go at hosting as well, I very much enjoyed listening along. And uh, thank you. I would say. <laughs> yeah, and thanks to everyone as well. He was on touch on Twitter and various other forums of social media checking in. But we're we're back in business now. I'm very happy to be back. And um, there was not totally normal week because we obviously had no WSL action. We do have Emma Carroll who will be gracing us with another team of the season so far a little later on on the podcast. And we'll also be having a chat with former Ireland manager and current FIFA women's technical consultant Sue Ronan. But as any listener of this podcast, I'm sure is very aware, we're a bit late with the podcast today because obviously Ireland just had a monumentous game against Sweden, 1-1. Karen has been running from Orti Studio to the pitch and now back to us. So (laughs) she has had a very busy day, but we were going to get our thoughts and opinions on it and just pick apart what was a pretty outstanding performance overall, Karen. Yeah, it it was amazing. Like, obviously, from an Irish perspective, we loved every minute of it. It's not pretty to watch, but that point, you can't understate how big that point could be at the end of this. Like, the margins are so fine between ourselves and Finland at that point. And I don't really see Sweden dropping any more points. Now, they're already qualified, so maybe they'll take the foot off the pedal, but I'd imagine dropping two points would be enough for them and they'll... They celebrated a little bit their qualification, but I'd say once they're back to the drawing board and for their next camp, um, there'll be stern words for them. Yeah, I can't imagine them being the sort of team. I mean, you don't get to where Sweden are with taking your foot off the pedal. And from what I've seen from the Swedish media, just on Twitter and stuff, they were not happy with the performance at all. There was some claims that there was some time wasting from the Irish team and that there was a lot of cynical fouling. But I actually thought that was a bit rich coming from them, considering some of their play. They were getting really frustrated by Ireland, which isn't something that we're normally that good at doing at teams of that calibre. Yeah, I'm surprised by the cynical thing. Like, I mean, that's just game management, the, the time wasting. That's what we expected. Any team in our position would do the same. Um, the cynical play, I don't see because I don't see us putting in these hard hitting tackles. I don't think we're a dirty team. Um, we're a hard team to play against. We're frustrating. But the tackles that went in today, the one that went in on Denise O'Sullivan in the first half, like that's borderline a red. If when you slow that down, that was a nasty tackle, and she did well to come back from that. And <laughs> she won the free that ultimately led to the goal, which was essentially a rugby tackle around the neck by Ericsson. So um, it is a bit rich. Maybe going into the match, they thought they could influence the referee in some way, but it just wasn't that type of game. Um, the, the ref didn't really have much to do. It was more so about Ireland's resilience um, more than anything. And I have to say, over the two games. 
given that Sweden are the second seeds, I was a little bit disappointed in them. I expected more. I found them pretty unexciting at times. Like they obviously have a lot of quality and they kept the ball phenomenally well. But when you compare them and you go and you watch the likes of Spain, they just have so much more flair. So while they do have kind of the favourites tags going into Europe um, at the moment, just because of their ranking, I do think that they will be pushed hard by other teams, the likes of Holland, Germany, definitely Spain. They're ones I'm more so looking forward to watching. Yeah, definitely. I think what I found watching the game today was I was surprised at how lacking in any sort of like finesse and finishing they were. You know, there was a couple of headers. I think Hershey had one or two. Blackstenius as well had a few where those are like bread and butter for Sweden. Yeah, they, don't were, do they, they definitely should have put those chances away. Like they missed... I'm going to say three open goals. That the two of those headers, her takes one. We can say it was good defending, but she took her eye off the ball. Um, realistically, and she <laughs> back on that one. Um, then in the second half, Nifa he did well to get across and put off. I'm not sure who that one was, but again, Blackstenius. Um, she should have had a couple as well. But look, we made our own look. It, like we said, wasn't pretty, but it was exactly the performance that was going to get us that result. Um, and yeah, just very a very proud day to be Irish. Um, it's It just generates so much excitement going into the last three games. We know that in the summer we should have a guaranteed three points that puts us ahead of Finland. And then it's it's totally in our hands. Um, and that's the thing that worries me. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, that. Was- <laughs> we tend to get a little bit nervy. And those games where we should win, the only blip really on our CV in this qualifying campaign is that draw to Slovakia. Now, we got a favour done by, fin- by Slovakia during the week in that they drew with Finland. Um, so yeah, really, really is in our hands. Yeah, I was thinking this as I was watching the game. It was when... And this is always my problem with Ireland in that actually I feel like I'm less nervous going into a game against Sweden because yeah, I agree. I feel like we put in the performances and those were resolute. We, even if we don't get the win or the draw or like we did today, we see something that's exciting and we're like, oh, this is great. And then we meet someone who is much more of our standard and a lot closer to us. And we just seem to take our foot off the pedal a little bit. But do you think that maybe that, I mean, I don't know. I don't think we've really had the proof of this, but I'm hoping that there is a slight change in our mentality just in terms of the last couple of camps. There seems to be like a lot more progress in terms of our attitude towards things. You even look at the performances of people like Courtney Brosnan, who like a year ago, not even a year ago, less time than that, there was so many doubts over just her mentality and she's come back and done incredibly well. Was phenomenal today and like she was so assured and like any bit of nervousness that would have seeped into that back line would have led to three or four goals going in so I think big shout out to her she deserves the praise that she's getting because it can't be easy being questioned so often you know um that shows resilience out of her and that's definitely something that I hope the group um acknowledge as they go forward because we still do have that blip of Slovakia and the ghosts of Ukraine they need to go now this needs to be the next step we can't just say oh we did well we got a point against Sweden we did that before we got a point uh, away to Holland they were European champions at the time but then it just dwindled out we didn't have we probably didn't have the strength and depth that this squad does at that time and they were up against higher opposition probably in Norway as second seeds but I just, I want to see proof. I want this to be the thing that gets them over the edge. I want them to go and beat Slovakia and beat them comprehensively. And then I'm happy with a draw against Finland because that's enough for us. 
Yeah, because again, I think we are also, when we go into games like the Sweden one, we're very happy to sit back and go, a draw would be fine. If we get a goal, that would also be great. But where we fall down is we need to prove that we don't just have pain up there as a lone striker by ourselves, or even like the likes of Katie McCabe coming up every so often from the back and actually scoring a goal. Do you think that we do have those options? Because I think when we are set up to play defensively, we can do it and we're good at, we got a little bit of luck as well today with the deflection in Katie's goal. But do you think we actually have the goals in the squad? I do. Like, I don't know how many times I've hammered at home that I hated Katie playing in that wing back position because she is our main threat. She's our top goal scorer um, and she can do it from all areas of the park. We saw her coming inside today, getting involved and being at the edge of the box where she's so dangerous. We're not blessed with a huge amount of attacking talent and we're not a team who will dominate possession so much that we can afford to have two strikers on to have Leanne up there with Heather uh, it's it's not just it's just not in our our makeup it's not the way we play so when we do have possession in those higher places up the pitch we need to have the likes of Katie on the ball we need Denise up there creating as well so they need the freedom to do that so we have plenty of defenders who can absolutely do a job back there in a back five but let's release the girls who need to be released um the goals came in Finland from high pressure from mm-hmm. Katie and Denise linking up with Heather um so that's what we need we need to see more of that um but I'm excited I'm hoping that today showed Vera that that's the way to go with this team um that we know we've got very good defenders and we always have had but it's the flair up top that we've maybe been missing and that composure that Denise showed to lay it back to Katie I just want to see more of that yeah, because I thought it was interesting. You said and something I mentioned to you just before we came on that on RT commentary and anyone who listens to Koi Gig knows that you're not always like Pau's biggest fan when it comes to her tactical setup. But you said you were quite impressed tonight. Do you think that's more a development of this team learning how to play better together and being set up well against a team like Sweden? Or is it just that tonight she hit the nail on the head right, the team did everything right and there's still more to prove when it comes to these games that are coming up? Yeah, look, you always want to see improvement. It's like we do a couple of steps forward and then one back in those games where we need to dominate possession and we keep talking about the progress of the team, but the progress will only be when we get that playoff place and that means we have to go and beat Slovakia. So once we do that and we put in a performance that shows that we're more comfortable on the ball and developing in that way, then I'll absolutely put my hands up and say, yeah, Vera is nailing it. Today it was horses for courses, let's be honest. Like It was always going to be five at the back a bank of four in front of them and poor Heather chasing her tail. Like that was always going to be the case. And I was more than happy to see that as the setup today because I would, I obviously I went into it thinking, God, if we keep the scoreline down here, given what has gone on during the week and the fact that our goal difference is better than Finland's is at this point, And the fact that they drop points against Slovakia, I was like, if we keep the scoreline down, amazing. This point is beyond our expectations. So Yes, she got the tactics spot on today, but I think I think my mom would have put out the same team, to be honest, you know. Like, <laughs> so. Well, I, I hope Gareth will, if she is listening, she <laughs> is delighted at her little shout out there. Yeah, it was funny because when I was watching the game, like obviously we were 1-0 up for so long and it got to 1-1. I felt that familiar sense of disappointment and dread coming in. I was like, this is 2-1 written all over it. The disappointment's going to come. And then when the match ended, I was happy, but I also had this weird settle of disappointment over me. And I had to almost shake myself out and be like, we just 
held like the second best team in the world to a point. Obviously, if we had they'd scored first and we back, it probably would have felt a little bit different. But I think that does show the change in my mentality anyways over the last while that I do expect a lot more from this team. Yeah, Um, it kind of reminds me of that time where we got really excited about the fact that we nearly beat Germany. (laughs) <laughs> like that was like a, such a big thing at the time and we conceded very late to, to lose 3-2 but like that's not good enough that's that's never going to get us into major tournaments so you're right I think that that mindset that shift in mentality of just expecting more is a good thing um, and maybe we can take a leaf out of Sweden's book where they have gone from saying we don't want to be the underdog anymore we want to be favourites because that means we're winning more um, yeah. so I think Ireland are very good at being the underdog, but we need to just get away from that because once you make a major tournament, you're no longer the underdog. You're up with the big dogs and yeah, we're, we're fighting for our life up there. But I think that now is the time. Yeah, I think it's the thing across Irish sport. We just prefer being the underdog. It doesn't matter what one you're playing. And we've talked a bit about Courtney Brosnan. Obviously, McCabe got the goal, is always going to be a standout player. Denise O'Sullivan drawing that foul that she led to the goal eventually and causing havoc as always. But who else impressed for you today? Do you know what? I think Megan Connolly dropping back into that left centre-back position. um, It's a nervy one, particularly given that she was on the left-hand side. It's not her natural foot. Um, And Chloe Masaki in her second game, like the two of them, they did really, really well. Um, I was bit disappointed by Glass out on that right side. I don't think she posed enough of a threat. I think when the changes were made, Sweden looked a lot more potent down that right-hand side. I felt like she was very one-dimensional coming back. But it was because the girls had their shape so well. Um, and to keep your discipline when you're used to maybe going out and, and like closing down different areas, I thought that that was really impressive out of Megan. So she was good. I thought Neil Fahey was excellent, um, won everything that she needed to win, hassled, harried. Um, you'd expect nothing less from Neve. Um, but like it was a really, really good team performance. But like you say, I just am so happy for Courtney because the first ball that came in, she didn't get a fantastic punch on it. But every mm-hmm. ball that came into the box after that, she was so, so assured. Um, so really, really pleased for her, just pleased for everyone in general. But Katie, we talk about her a lot, but we should because if Sweden had Katie McCabe on their team today, they would have won because they didn't have anyone who could dribble the ball past our defence, who were drawing fouls, who were as composed as she was on the ball, I didn't think so. Um, The fact that she would get selected in a team that's full of superstars just shows the level that she's at. And that's why she's racking up all these player of the matches. It's, It's hard to ignore. Yeah, definitely. There was a point where she got, I think, was it Ireland's first shot on target? And like, it was a weak enough shot. But when you look at the build up to it, it was her dribbling around like five different Swedish players, absolutely no space to get a shot off. And she still managed to turn, cause her defender to think that she was taking it on one leg, took it on the other one and got the shot off. And while it wasn't the most best shot in the world, Lindell took it pretty easily. It was still just a sign of what she could do. And like, when she was in position. <laughs> <laughs> when she had those opportunities. Yeah, exactly. and there we go. Yeah, no, I totally agree. She was great. And I did, because I know sometimes I watch Courtney Brosnan and I see those balls come in and I still have that little bit of fear from, and I did for like the first 10, 20 minutes, I probably still did. But every ball she took was so confident that by the end of the game, that was gone. Like I wasn't as worried. I was watching her. Onto the bar was phenomenal. That yeah. was 
so good, so reactionary. Um, and even getting down to that shot down on her, her left post, um, where I think it was Rolfo, she got like no backlift, but she got so much power in it and she gets such a strong hand and keep the ball in. And she did brilliant at time wasting, like all these things added up. Yeah. And positionally as well, which is something that she's been criticized before being too far off her line or too close to it every time she was reading where the balls were coming in. And for someone who's not playing regular club football, like that shows there's an awful lot of work being done on her behalf behind the scenes that obviously we're not seeing, but those in camp are. Yeah. Um, like they, they put their full confidence in them and she's got really experienced people in front of her as well. Louise and Neil Fahey, they're, they're very calming. Like I've played with them for a long time. They're really good people to have in front of you. There's no panic there. Um, very, very encouraging. So once she got that first stop, um, I felt like she just really grew into the game. And I saw Emma Byrne giving her praise on Twitter there and you you don't get higher praise than that. Like Emma's a legend. Um, so that'll mean a lot to her. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's fantastic to see. Yeah, I think at least every single Irish player that I saw on Twitter afterwards was pretty much complimenting her performance and saying it would have been a lot worse without her, just in terms of general calmness and also what she was pulling off. So and I think that's one we'll agree. One I wanted to ask you about, which I was just thinking about the like after the match and considering all the hype that there is around the team at the moment, you know, we have the Dublin airport banners, the ads the Finland game is going to be at home. Do you think that is a good opportunity to move the game out of Tala and take it to somewhere like the Aviva and just see what sort of a spectacle could be made? Because potentially it could be a defining moment for Irish football and to give it the stage. It could be, but I think the fact that we're so used to Tala now, I, I just wondered if changing something... Does it bring more pressure on the situation? Does it overawe the girls? I know the pitch in the Aviva is massive as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd obviously have to get that taken in. So then you're a little bit farther away from the crowd and like it's not going to pack out the Aviva. I think if we qualify, then we can start looking to make a spectacle of things. But for me, I'd love to see just Pala, Pala packed out. Um, yeah. I think that that would be a good starting point. And, and we go from there because that's where they've, done their hard graft so far so I don't think I'd be changing too much you know don't don't fix what ain't broken <laughs> I don't see it get to a point where we could move to bigger stadiums but for now making Tala a fortress and a really difficult and maybe hostile place to come would be good to see yeah no definitely the crowds in Tala over recent matches have been very impressive and actually it was something I thought of when I was listening to the crowd in Sweden today I feel like even when Ireland have been under the cross recently in games in Tallinn, there has been a lot more support from the Irish fans than those from the Swedish ones. So hopefully, there's not too many Sweden fans listening and like cursing me as I say that. But we're we're big fans of Tallinn. Well, if you have any thoughts or opinions on today's match, we would love to hear them, especially because it was such a great match. <laughs> Please do get them into us at Off the Ball on Twitter hashtag OTB Koi Gig. With the international window depriving us of our beloved WSL, it's time we roll out an old favourite, which is our WSL team of the season brackets so far. (laughs) Emma, we have you back as per usual to talk us through this. Now, I've had a look at the team you've submitted and also the previous ones, so I feel like there's going to be some interesting debate around this. But to start us off, would you like to give us the players that you have selected so far? We can, and 
We'll get straight into it. Goalkeeper Mary Earps at the back, McCabe, Greenwood, Bright and Neville and a midfield two of Little and Stanway and then a front four slash three one of Mead, Miedema, Hemp and Kerr. A classic. When I was like waiting for it to come through, I was like, what's the bet? Katie McCabe is going to be yeah, able to. I'm personally shocked. Listen, <laughs> I know, it's Taking shock of the season. Yeah. Listen, if you look at the teams of the week, you know, she's been in there most weeks, so how could you not put her in the team of the season so far? <laughs> That's true. Well, I think there is the the ones that were consistent from your last team of the season so far were McCabe, Little, Mead and Kerr, which is funny because you've been accused of many biases before, but an Arsenal bias has not been one of them. <laughs> yep. You want me to bring up a bias? Where are the Man United players? Yeah. One Man United player. Mary Earps. Mary um, Earps they make up the bench. Ella Toon needs to be in there. I know it's jam-packed in the forwards and we do kind of plow a lot of players, like we fit them into the forward line. But just the start of the season, she was dragging Man United through a lot of those games. I thought she's definitely one that was worth a shout, but who do you drop out of that top three? Yeah, Ella Toon and Aaron Cuthbert were the two yeah. hardest players to leave out. Cuthbert was going to be the one that I was like, if you're mm-hmm. going to put Katie McCabe in there and considering some of the battles Cuthbert has been up against her this season, she's kind of won a lot of them. I remember the FA Cup, a few of the tackles that she put in on Katie, she had her number absolutely sorted. So I felt like she definitely mm-hmm. deserved a bit of a shout in there. Yeah. like Her and Wrighton, I would say. Guru Wrighton, I think they're probably two that are... They're consistently in our teams of the week as well. So difficult one to leave those out. But yeah, big shout out to those two. Yeah, it is. Was it was kind of it was between yeah Cuthbert two and Stanway. Is like how like how do you choose between the three of them? It's a, it's a good team. headache to have. Yeah, and I even kind of thought about maybe putting Cuthbert at right back, and then I thought Neville has been really good and consistent for Spurs, and I think she deserves a shout and a nod. Um. Yeah, yeah, considering the, the, that Spurs are the surprise package of this year, I think it's it's right that they are represented in the team of the season so far. I think it goes to show as well that how strange it is that City have struggled th- that much this year and you have the likes of Hemp, Greenwood, Stanway in there because like, I can't really debate their inclusion because they have been great at different times, but also it's just been so contro- like controversial to what City have done. Yeah. And yeah. I think if Bronze hadn't been injured, she'd probably be in with a shout for that right back position. Yeah, she's on the bench, but she just hasn't played enough of the season to actually yeah, that's fair. be in the team. And Maya Letizia, to be honest, was probably the next in line for that right back, actually ahead of Bronze um, as well when it comes to Neville. So I, I was she, thinking had... about this when you say like she hasn't played enough. And I agree, Bronze probably hasn't. But one of the names I was thinking of when I looked at your team was someone like Black Stenius, who's only come in in mm. January, but also like her partnership with Miedema has been insane so far. I think she's like kind of given Arsenal that extra kick that they didn't have. And I did think out of her performances, probably deserved a bit of a shout or at least a consideration of inclusion on the team. As I, as I said when I sent this team on, it's a very solid bench. Emma, <laughs> <laughs> you can't hide that, behind that though. I want to know the exactly goals why. That are going to, the goals that are going to come off that bench is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and that's if Miedema and Kerr can't get you those. So. <laughs> yeah. mm. One player we're not debating is Kim Little. Captain, star, put her in there all day. Yeah. yeah. Yes. She was in, was she in the previous one? I think she might have been. Yeah. Can't leave her out really. Um, and we talk about her all the time little magician really and 
So she was the first name in there, really, along with me, the man, Care. And then yeah. the rest of the team kind of built around those three, really. It's like, right, they're nailed on. Yeah. <laughs> I do think, I know you briefly mentioned her earlier, but I do think Erps as well does deserve a bit of a second shout, just considering everything she's done, especially since, I suppose, September of last year when she was brought into the England squad. I know it's not WSL, but I feel like that inclusion has almost given her a lift in every other part and the way she has secured that position with I know Roebuck has been injured but Serena Wiegmann has very much said Mary Earps is my number one for now like Roebuck hasn't done enough to earn her spot back and I do think she's shown that in the WSL as well so that's a player that I've really enjoyed watching come along because I don't think we would have said at the start of the season she's going to be our goalkeeper mm-hmm. of the season so far not no definitely not you yeah. look at like the likes of Anne Katchenberger who has like actually kind of nearly lost her spot coming into the last few games at, at Chelsea and then yeah Roebuck missed a lot of the season she's come back at a vital time for City as well and done great but Mary Earps has proven herself and there's no reason why she shouldn't be Serena's number one going into the Euros as well The England captain did not make your team of the season so far No she didn't um, again a little bit of injury but I think Greenwood and Bright have been solid especially recently um, after Christmas, Greenwood has Bright's been instrumental up. in set in stepping up to kind of elite injuries as well. And I think Millie Bright has just been excellent this season. I'm an extra going to anger all England and Arsenal fans by telling us that you don't actually believe that Leah Williamson deserves the England captaincy. <laughs> I know. it's yeah, She's a bit young, isn't she? I don't know. Like She Katie definitely, has, through, she definitely has those leadership skills. But when you look around the team mm. and the experience that other players have had in tournaments as well, the likes of Millie Bright, the likes of Lucy Bronze. Um, yeah. But it's no surprise, really, because I think she's like the golden girl of the English mm. <laughs> of the yeah, English yeah. setup at the moment, and also through the underage setups. Like she captained quite a lot of those sides as well. So I suppose to her credit, she does have that experience. And we know a lot of the time the players don't change all that much around those teams. You know, the same players are coming up through together. Emma, I love putting this on you, but we have. Of quite a few interesting characters in there. Miedema, Kurt, obviously on their way for the golden boot. Alessia Russo, who didn't make your squad, is also up there. She's a bit far off the other two, but still. Who are you pipping to take the golden boot home at the end of the season? And I will be bringing this up on the final weekend, just so you know. (laughs) Oof. Hmm. That, that's probably the, the toughest question of the season so far who's going to win the league um, I'm going to tip care just because of the new role that Miedema has fallen back where she's a little bit deeper hasn't seemed to stop her from scoring <laughs> but <laughs> care is just in and around the box that little bit more and with the way Wrighton is providing at the moment I think she's going to get on the end of a few yeah. more as well. And the fact that they scored 16 goals in two games there recently, it's good. It's a good run of form. Not a bad team to be in <laughs> if you're bad. chasing golden boot. I mean, it's all right. It's, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing on you, Karen, but it's fine. 
<laughs> well, Emma, thank you so much for joining us once again. If any of our listeners have any thoughts or opinions on Emma's selection, or if you think that there is some player who's going to come up in the next couple of weeks before the end of the season and make it into the team, please do let us know. You can tweet us at Off the Ball and use the hashtag OTBKoyGig. This week we have one of the biggest names in Irish football joining us, someone that you will all recognise. Sue Ronan works as a women's football technical consultant with FIFA, but previously held several roles within the FAI, including women's national team manager and head of women's football. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today, Sue. You're welcome. It's great to have you on and great to have... I'm so curious to talk to you about your role with FIFA, but also with your history with the Irish team. I suppose just to give people who maybe haven't heard your entire story a little bit of background, like how did you first get involved in football? You can go as far back as you want, if you want back to your early playing days, or you can tell us how you first kind of got more started in the development managerial side of things. Yeah, I'd be there all day if I went right back, um, (laughs) given my age. But I suppose, yeah, I started off um, a national team player back in the day and while I was uh, playing I started doing my coaching uh, qualifications um, and so that's how I got on the ladder there then got an opportunity to coach with our underage underage teams at the time money was very tight obviously as you can imagine way back in the 90s and um, we were just there was only a national team at the time Mick Cook was in charge Uh, there was an underage national team being started then under 16 with a view to entering the first UEFA competition a few years, years down the road so there wasn't money for a few different coaching um, teams. So he, uh, he got myself involved. I must have shown a flair for, for coaching or maybe I was always asking questions at training sessions. I don't know. But uh, anyway, he asked me, would I, would I get involved with the under 16s? I did. So it sort of went from there. I finished playing, stayed involved in coaching, um, went with him to, to coach the 18s. Then as it used to be the 18s, then it changed age groups a few years later to 19s. Um, then when there was a change in management, I took the 19s role uh, myself, had, had that for about 10 years. Um, and then when Noel King moved on from the women's team, I was lucky enough to get that role. Uh, and that was a role I held, held for about six years. Alongside that, then in, in about 2006, I actually went full time into the FAI. Before that, I worked in um, Crumlin Children's Hospital. Actually, I, was in, I, was, I wasn't a medical person, but I worked in the fundraising section there. So football was, there, was in my spare time, you know, took holidays to coach the team, to go away with the team, etc. We went in full time in 2006 when there was more money put into the game. There was a women's unit. Um, there was specific staffing around the game around the development of the game um so i went in there as a, a national coordinator and kept the coaching roles going at the same time so that's sort of where where it went and it went on then till yeah uh, numerous roles my, my last role then was head of women's football um and also the under 16 head coach so when i finished with the women's team took up the head of women's football role um a couple of years later uh our high performance director asked me to also take on the under 16 role um there was a change of staffing there so i did that there wasn't a lot of contact time involved so i was able to do the two together whereas i couldn't do the women's team and the head of women's football together that's it it in a nutshell i guess (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say i was like how do you write a cv with something like that to include everything that's in it and obviously the role you're in now is much more on the development side than the coaching side do you ever miss that side of things do you know, it's funny, I'm actually doing a bit of everything now. And funnily enough, we talk about coaching. I'm traveling to Armenia um, next week uh, yeah, to actually deliver a coach education workshop to uh, C-licensed coaches. So, oh, wow. I still, yeah, so I still have a hand in the 
there. Um, do I miss being involved with the team? I miss the match day and miss everything around the match. And Karen might say the same. I don't know, but uh, yeah, certainly, um, you know, all the, the the stresses maybe in, around or before it uh, don't maybe particularly miss it, but absolutely miss the match day when I'm watching the game tomorrow night. Now I wish I was there. I wish I was in the stadium. That the I can picture what the squad are doing in the lead up to the match, you know, and just the whole excitement around it. And just standing there when the national anthem is being played, I mean, you just can't buy that feeling, you know. So I absolutely do miss that. But um, look, I think I had my time coaching, certainly the national teams, um, maybe someday go back to coaching a, a club team. But for now, really enjoying what I'm doing. So I'm doing a bit of, bit of everything. Yeah. And what was it, what's the difference, say, you had to balance two jobs and the national team coach, when there's a full-time national team coach, what are they doing extra that you couldn't do possibly because you had um, a different role? Just because I I don't really see a consistent home-based session set up here. I obviously know that they're a full-time coach, but I'm just kind of wondering what they're doing when it's not contact because yeah. you're obviously busy with your own job. I'm just wondering what the difference is there. Yeah. Well, I would have given my right arm to be the full-time coach at the time, Karen. And, and I mean, you would have probably, you'd have known the constraints we all worked mm. under players and staff at the time, you know, with the limited resources we had. And from my point of view, trying to balance two roles and two big roles, it was just, you know, next night impossible. Um Again, Karen, you would have been aware that I would have initiated those home base sessions mm. um, back in the day, and you know that was at a much maybe actually I don't know maybe for a season it was probably more often than it is now. I think we had a weekly session for a good number did, of months. Yeah, yeah we did. Um, the challenges then was that you probably didn't have the same support and buy-in from the clubs as you do now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know to get players released and all that. So there seems to be a set day now when players are released, which is great. Um, but look, I'd have given my right arm. I suppose something that I couldn't do at the time was keep that constant contact with players, you know, monitor them, go and watch them playing, um, especially as most of them are playing abroad. You know, I just couldn't go and watch them. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't tell you on one hand how many times I went to watch a player, one of my players play abroad. I just couldn't do it uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, I didn't have the time and probably the money wasn't there either. Um, so it's really just having that ongoing contact. And then because there's more resources, Sources around the team now, like there's there's um, you know there's much more availability maybe of uh, access to player stats, for example. You know, there's that collaboration with the club coaches in terms of of their load, what are they doing, injuries all those stats, you know, you just would have more time now. If I was a full-time coach or full-time coaches would have more time to prepare ongoing preparation, going and watching your opposition play as well. I did that very little. Uh, We just had to rely on on video video, um, that we got, which it's not always the same because you don't always get a proper, you know, Mm. view of the game. Um, so there are some of the differences that certainly would have would have helped me back in the day. But look, times have changed and things change and, and they do change only for the better, thankfully. Thankfully, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, things definitely have. Well, I'd like to think that they have changed or at least are going in the right direction exactly. the last couple of years. I mean, we say it often on the show for most of the people that we talk to that, yes, a lot of changes have been made, but we still have a long way to go. And I sure. think qualification tournaments like the ones we're currently in will be the real sign that we have actually moved on and I know it's something Sue you've talked about quite a lot before is wanting to get that qualification one thing I wanted to talk to you a bit more about just from like the coaching and the development side of it is 
we're getting all these players through, but I don't know if we're necessarily seeing the development of like maybe coaches or leaders in that sense in the game in the same mm-hmm. way. And I know it's something that you've spoken about before. We spoke to Emma Byrne on the show about it a couple of, I was about to say a couple of weeks, a couple of months back now um, in the context of goalkeepers and how she would love to see more coaches coming through in that regard. But what is it do you think we should, we could be doing to actually encourage more girls and women into that position because it's all the way it has started grassroots all the way up to the very top you know like eight ten year olds need to see they can be a coach like we're yeah, like there's no female coaches in the women's national league at the moment which is yeah yeah and this again this is a, a it's a big sort of a bugbear of mine and it's something that uh, it's close to my heart is having female coaches and you know it's, it disappoints me to be totally honest with you um the way things are now with the particularly the underage squads We've gone from a situation uh, way back in the day when the volunteers ran the women's game and they had a specific, you know, they wanted a female coach with every underage team and not just a female coach for the sake of it, like they had to be qualified and able to do the role. Um, But they at least, if there wasn't somebody qualified enough, they at least wanted the assistant to be female so they could maybe get mentored by the male coach and and be brought along and, and, you know, get those opportunities or see get that experience on the job. I guess. And we've gone, we, we've actually gone back from where, where we were at one point, you know, at one point all our underage teams, certainly two out of three of them had female coaches as, as um, the head coach. Now we don't have any, like the only, the only female coach we have uh, head coaches with the national team. Um, and that really is a disappointment. I know there is lots being done in coach education to get more females through their qualifications, but as you rightly said, um, you know, um, we, we've used the hashtag, you can't see it, you can't be it. And, you know, girls or women are not going to push on maybe to do their qualifications if they don't see female coaches there that they can emulate because they might think, well, what's the point? You know, am I wasting my time? Um, and it's disappointing that there's, there's none in the National League as well. We've gone from where we had a couple a few years ago. We had Eileen, we had Laura. Um, now it's gone where we don't. I don't think any of them are, any of the head coaches are females. And that's a big disappointment. <sighs> Look, you know, I, I can, couldn't put my finger on it completely why it's not happening, but it is a big disappointment. And I, I think there, it needs, it definitely needs to, to, to change somehow. You know, something needs to be done to try to correct that because, you know, you, you need to grow leaders, as you say, you know, as well as trying to in, increase participation numbers and improve the game. You want to try and get more females in the game in all areas of the game, uh, whether that be players, coaches, administrators. And if they aren't there as role models, you're, you're not going to get the next generation through. I spoke with Paula, um, can't remember her second name, the referee. Paula Brady. Uh, Paula exactly. I met Paula at the under-17 uh, girls game there last week in Tala. And she's retired now, but she's still involved. But as she said, one of her biggest um, tasks now that she wants to do is try and get more female referees. And we've gone from a situation again in refereeing where, for, where maybe 10 years ago, we had about four or five top female referees. We had Michelle O'Neill. We had uh, Ron, Rona Daly. We had... Uh, Hilda, um, we had herself, and now we're we're down where we've known, I think, or maybe one, you know. So, yeah, it, it's a challenge all around. But I think you know a lot more could be done um, by the governing body in terms of that. And do you think it's a case? And Karen, you might even be able to speak to this a little bit because obviously you are still playing as well. But like. Are there conversations going on within like players or within those like club setups as well about 
what it actually takes to become a coach or like cause obviously if you have to go through the licensing process and you're already giving up a lot of your time because we're not talking about professional athletes no matter how much training you do you still don't have that pro status as much as we advocate for it on this show mm. but is it giving up all that extra time that's part of the barrier is it the pathways not being there or is it something much deeper and much more internal of it being a leadership role because this isn't a problem we see just in Ireland as well this is something that we see across leagues across continents Hmm. it's not something that we speak about now I think that the the course in Carlo has actually really helped because a lot of those girls who are coming through they're coming out with coaching badges Hmm. and they're continuing their work kind of on underage structures but when you're playing I do think it's too much time I mean we're giving up three probably four days every week just to play Hmm. Um, so what we really need to be targeting is players like myself and maybe Anya in a couple of years time when we actually finish just making sure that we don't lose players out of the game because we lose a lot of girls to they go abroad and they maybe stay abroad or they coach in other countries and thinking the likes of Kira Grant and and that who would be unbelievable to get back here just the wealth of knowledge that they've seen Um, but again I suppose it's changing the attitude as well maybe with some of those girls who were burnt by the FAI back in the days, trying to mm-hmm. bring them back and build those yeah. bridges. And I do think the all-female UEFA B that's been set up is going to be really, really helpful because mm-hmm. it is just about getting more people into it at the underage structure and get, building the confidence to get up to senior level because the Women's National League is becoming more professional, it's becoming more demanding. The players have certain standards mm-hmm. um, and you do obviously need to have your badges and things like that. So for me, it is probably time at the moment Um but I can't, I can't speak to to the other girls. Um, but it, it's not an easy task. Like girls are getting more demanding as well. I mean, yeah. I never was someone who went and asked for feedback after training or if I got taken off for a game like mm. that, whereas girls now are. Mm. Um, so you have to be willing to, you have to be a very good people manager as well. Yeah, oh, that's my that's my thing. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right, Karen. And there's two sides of it. And I say as well, um, when we delivered the first B uh, female only B license, um, when I was still with the FAI a couple of years ago at the graduation, one of the things I said to the girls was, "Don't have your graduation cert in your back pocket now. Get out and yeah, use it, and be brave enough to use it, and put yourself out of your comfort zone." Because there's a bit of that side too, where you know, girls and women maybe are are not as confident in themselves in terms of coaching, but they need to try and take that step forward and put themselves, take themselves out of their comfort zone um, and go to places that might make them uncomfortable initially, you know. Um, so it, it works on both sides. But I'm doing a bit of work as well with Sport Ireland. Um, I'm, I'm part of a, of a group that's looking at uh, coaches in, all across sports, um, female coaches, and why we can't get so many of them to the high performance end of, of teams and sports. And like, it's not just a problem to football, it's a problem all over. Mm. Um, and there are different reasons to it. There are reasons on the coaches' side Side, but there are definitely reason. There are definitely um, things that could be changed or corrected on the governing body sides as well. So it, there's a bit of both. I think that could. Yeah, it's true. You never like you're looking at the ladies' GA at the weekend. It was all male all men. Yeah. The, on the sideline as well. Yeah. So it is across yeah. the board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's across sports. I mean, a lot of my work is with ESPN and that'll be focused on American sports and there it's very similar. We're seeing slowly mm-hmm. it come to fruition, but yeah. I think they have the benefit of having Title Nine, and that has given a lot more money. I know Emma Hayes and the soccer side, like she would talk about it quite a lot about mm-hmm. how impactful that was and how shocking it was for her to go from America to England yes. after having having had those Title Nine support. Yeah. So yeah. even structures like that would be so important here. Yeah. 
Um, in your new role, because obviously mm-hmm. you're not working with FAI anymore, you're with FIFA. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like for you going from a very like concentrated on a very small group I would presume compared to like FIFA's remit which is much wider yeah um so I suppose well I'm not sure if you if you knew how I finished in the FAI effectively they decided to make the position redundant uh, there was a lot of restructuring took place um when the interim CEO came in Gary Owens he looked across the the business and decided to a different direction with the, the women's game and sort of integrated fully that everyone's responsible for it rather than just have one or two. Um, so uh, the, the, my position and um, some of my colleagues in the women's department effectively were made redundant. Now there was other positions in the game that we could have gone for in football in general, but I didn't have an interest in working in the men's game as such, you know, my passion's always been on, on the women's side. And I, luckily enough, uh, FIFA offered me a, a job when they realized that um, I, I was uh, going to be free as such. So um, effectively like you know, one of their key goals is to make sure girls and women have opportunities both on and off the field uh, globally. And obviously, yeah, you're talking about globally now rather than in Ireland. And um, I think, I suppose, since the 2019 World Cup, they committed about a billion, I think, an investment in the game um, to try and grow the participation all over the world and to make it more professional. Um, there was a million plus viewers at the 2019 World Cup and they're expecting it to be even bigger and more successful next year in, in Australia and New Zealand, which is great. Um, but that investment, they really wanted every country to have a solid plan in place for women's football. So um, I was offered a role as a full-time consultant as such and as well as funding that goes to every country uh, for the women's game. There's also um, eight programs that are sort of tailor-made programs that are specifically there that countries can tap into and get support. There's funding available. There's expert advice, say, from the likes of myself or other people uh, that will help them. So things like... um, I'm helping some countries, say, build a women's football strategy from scratch. Um, Say, for example, the Cook Islands in uh, Oceania. It's amazing. Like, I'd be on a Zoom call with with people from there, helping them build a strategy. And, you know, you think we're badly off here. I mean, countries Mm. like that have nothing. You know, they absolutely have nothing. Um, And it's really great to see how, like, they really want your help and they they value your your, um, experience and they value your knowledge. Um, So that would be one uh, strategy. Other countries then, I'm helping them, say, build leagues or maybe uh, enhance a league they already have. Um, Club licensing is something we offer. Um, Women's football campaign, which is like festivals to try and just get girls playing at at whatever age, younger ages usually. Um, And then there's capacity building courses that I would deliver also either for administrators, maybe leadership skills or for coaches, which is like the one next week in Armenia. Um, So it goes right across the spectrum. I'm also mentoring a couple of uh, female coaches, one in Australia and one in Uganda. So, I mean, like you couldn't get it more different. You know, you really couldn't. Um, I'm on a call tomorrow night with New Zealand. Tomorrow morning, I have a call with the girl in Uganda. And then I'm going to Armenia next week. So I, I absolutely love what I have to say because it's really it touches on everything that I've done all through my career from the coaching side to the developmental side um, because I was involved here in building leagues and getting more girls playing and you know all those type of things so it's exactly sort of what I've done and and 
have learned a lot, I have to say, you know, even just talking to people in other countries, I, I've learned a huge amount more than I already knew, but I'm really, really enjoying it. I have to say, and getting great satisfaction from it. I was going to ask, have you come across any countries or like any particular groups that are doing something exciting? They don't necessarily have to be like that far on on it, but any groups that are kind of making you excited? Because one of the things that I quite enjoy, especially now as the higher parts of women's football are getting more and more professional, is still seeing the processes that some countries have to work through and the exciting ways they're implementing their women's football strategy because they're coming in at a time where there's so much already established that they're coming in Mm. at a slightly higher point than Mm. possibly Ireland were when you first started working with them Mm. years ago. Yeah. Well, like the variety of countries that I'm working with, as I mentioned, some have really nothing you're building from scratch and others like, for example, Finland, um, they're getting support around their top league. So they've done a huge amount of research on, um, they want to try and build their attendances in their top league. And it'd be a bit like something that we were trying to do here, Karen, say with the National League, they would have small attendances. They've done huge surveys on, well, who actually goes to the game. So they know who their key target audience is. Um, it's young girls, it's their parents. Um, so what they're trying to do now is to build linkages with young girls in local grassroots clubs and connect, say, 10 or 15 local grassroots clubs to each of the National League club in the area, mm. um, have different relationships going on. For example, players from the National League club will go and take coaching sessions in the grassroots club. The players in the grassroots club will act as maybe ball girls or flag bearers or whatever to the National League. They'll get free tickets. Their parents will go. Um, there's funding involved. There's equipment involved. And But it's just a really good way that they've done their research. Their target is to try to build those linkages. They want to grow attendances. And at the same time, they're trying to show those young girls, but this is a great pathway for you. You know, if you keep playing and keep staying in the game, you can eventually be emulate your local hero at your local club. And, you know, they're going to have a better opportunity of having maybe better players coming through the system. So such a simple thing as well, that could easily be implemented here. Absolutely. that's, That's a big thing. Like I know, the likes of Shells, their fan base is growing because of the link with the men's team, but say some IP meant we don't have that. So that would be a way for us to kind of garner some support. Yeah, absolutely. And again, going back when I was with the FAI, um, as part of different different initiatives, I suppose, trying to help the league or trying to grow the league, we, I, the FAI funded, it was through Erasmus funding actually, but um, I came up with this idea where we bring the com- people that are involved in the, co- the communication side of the National League clubs, uh, brought them over to England, um, visited two clubs over there, Reading and Arsenal, and had the links there and made the connections and they brought us in. Uh, and so they were able to see what did those clubs do to actually grow their attendances how do they um, actually conduct a match day everything around it and it really was a great two or three days and it was great learnings taken from it but I suppose those guys then went back to the, our clubs and they didn't have the money or the resources to implement them what they learned you know but I think there really are great opportunities and great initiatives to do things like that but unfortunately I don't know who the focal point is now for women's football in the FAI I'm not sure there is one so I don't think those things are happening anymore I'm watching the because we the women's national league has probably entered a very exciting phase, especially with the development of the national team. I think people are paying a lot more attention to it now than they possibly have been ever yeah. before. Yeah. For you, you've talked so much about all the different things that could be done there, but what would be like the one thing that you would love to see implemented in the league? I know Karen's sitting there going, semi-pro status. <laughs> 
but for you so like what would be something that would be really important for you to see to I suppose hammer down on that you, you talked about the restructuring that the FAI went underwent and that they changed the way everything was being done but to prove that that's actually being effective we need to see the changes in the league so for you what what would be the proof Oh, I think what Karen said, I think that would absolutely be the next step or is the next step. And I mean, you can see the benefits the women's team is having now by, you know, effectively the, the level's gone up. The resources now are, are, are much better um, around it, are being pumped into it than they were five, six, ten years ago. Um, Sky, the standalone sponsor, the activation they're doing, you know, the awareness they're creating around it. Isn't it fantastic to see all these um, branding in the airport yeah. and the billboards and Cadbury and all these standalone sponsors and I think that campaign the 2020 campaign definitely helped hugely um, you know not only football but I'm sure other sports also but I think that's probably the next step in, in the country because the fact that our national team now are effectively all the girls are pro- playing professionally or apart from the ones here um like the difference now in the level, you know, they're, they're, they're training more, they're, they're training better, they're more conditioned. Um, I mean, Karen, you'll remember when I was with the team, some of the girls, Katie McCabe and people that were like actually only gone to Arsenal at the time and they were transitioning from training twice a week to full-time training and that's going to take a bit of time to get used to. Um, she and others were only sort of making their way in the team, you know, but now you have established players that are playing with top clubs in England. Uh, they, the resources are around the national team as a result, the performances are improved on the pitch. I mean, the girls are just so comfortable on the ball now. It's brilliant. It really is great to see, you know, um, and they're doing so well. notice it even more, I think, with the younger girls again. The Absolutely. Coming through, like our under yeah. 17, some of them are so yeah. technically yeah. advanced Absolutely. compared to where we were. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that they're, they've benefited from being in, in probably in programmes here for longer, like emerging talent programmes and all that type of thing. And playing at the, at the league, you know, in the underage national leagues now because they're playing at a higher level. So I think if we could get to that type of status with the league here, you know, get it to a semi-professional status, it would be fantastic. I know that's going to take a lot, but... I think if we could, if yeah, we could, I just think it would be good because it'll keep girls here a little bit longer yeah. until they're ready to go, so that they're, they're not going abroad and maybe sitting on Too the bench early. for yeah. years and losing confidence. I just think yeah. it would be a great stepping stone for them, for them and yeah. would benefit the team in the long run because that yeah. kind of age between 18 20 something that's when we get it's a lot an of issue. drop off it is, yeah. Yeah. if they don't make it in the past if they don't make it from the 19 straight onto the national team we have lost players or yeah. so, a lot have gone to the USA and that's not always what it seems either when they just go on a scholarship. You know, if they're going to the top uh, colleges, it's different. But unfortunately, too many of them don't go to the top colleges. Well, as you say, it will take a lot. But <coughs> it's everyone in this room anyways will be yeah. very certain of the fact that it'll be worth everything that it is. Definitely. Because it's not just for... I think this is something as well we miss out sometimes in this conversation. It's not just for the benefit of the national team or even the players in the league. It's for the benefit of the country. Because we all know how much joy we get sure. whenever an Irish sports person performs well. We all know how much joy we get whenever it's our club or whoever it is being represented on the international stage. You know, yeah. even with the League of Ireland, when a team gets through some Europa League stage, we're yeah. always delighted. So yeah, for sure. I think it's one of those things that it'll filter down throughout and the more popular it gets, the more everyone will benefit and enjoy from it. But Sue, thank you so much for joining no us on the show this week. It was a pleasure to talk to you and best of luck as you virtually travel around the world <laughs> with your job. I hope you enjoy it. I'll be physically travelling soon enough, I'd say. No, travel is open, you so. want to get to the airport early? 
Yeah. I, I think I will, yeah. A few days early. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cabri FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. As ever, we will be back again with you next week to talk about the FA Cup and some WNL preview, analysis and review and insights. Everything you could want, essentially, from me, Karen and Emma. So make sure you're described to the Koi Gig Pod in your podcast feed and all the usual places that you can find us. And we will chat to you then. The Koi Gig Pod and OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support. 